to episode 45 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today we're talking about how an indie designer can create a worldwide wholesale business while keeping production small scale and local. My guest is Heather Moore, founder and creator of Skinny Laminx. When Heather Moore started experimenting with screen printing in her spare time in 2007, she had no idea that just a few years later, she'd have a shop in Cape Town, nine employees, and a wholesale business sending her fabrics, cushions, homewares, and more all around the world. Heather Moore, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be on your show. Yeah, it's so exciting to talk to you. It's my first guest from South Africa. Hey. <laughs> but it's like we're in the same room, so perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm here just Bo- different just different times of day. Exactly. I'm here in Boston where it's morning, you're in Cape yep. Town. End where of the day over here. Right. <laughs> so awesome. All right, so you have a storefront on Bree Street in Cape Town with a studio above. And you sell your work there. You also sell online. And you have a wholesale business with accounts all over the world. So I was wondering if you could start by just describing the skinny Laminx operation as it looks right now. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, um, our little shop is pretty discreet. It's got a little black awning out the front that just says in in Korea font, skinny Laminx on the front. Walks through into a fairly small um, little store that leads through into a bit more of a workshop space. And as you walk through, uh, you'll see all of our products there. We've managed to (laughs) put an enormous amount of pattern, of color, of um, range of products into this little space without completely overwhelming um, the shopper. I hope, at least. Um, and mostly we've managed to do that by keeping the colors quite dark and um, so that they hold, the, hold all the patterns and colors together. And then as you walk through into the workshop space at the back, there, there are big fabric stores where you can see the fabric that you're interested in if you're wanting to upholster or just buy um, yardage for home sewing. And then, yeah, there are a whole bunch of um, girls, <laughs> lots of my team um, busy at the back, working away. And then if you go up the stairs, up the fire escape, past all the plants, because I've got a lot of plants going on up and down the stairs, um, you'll find the studio above where I sit and work. I have my pinboards and my computer and my work table and my business partner Pearl is up here and my assistant and we have a lot more fabric and cut stock stored and then a little bit further down the passage our fabulous seamstress team working away. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a hive of industry I must say. Yeah. Everybody is working hard all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's inspiring. It must be inspiring. That's terrific. So um, tell me a little bit about the products that you're currently producing. What does the range look like? Well, we have three different sizes of pillow. Um, and we've recently actually, well, in the last year or so, we've started doing our fabric, the printed fabric on both sides of the pillow. We used to have plain fabric on the back and, and printed on the front. We're so happy with the way it looks with, with uh, printed fabric on both. It's really, I think it gives you, your uh, pillow double life, <laughs> which is really fantastic. Um, then we also sell some uh, tableware, napkins, um, table runners, sometimes tablecloths, made up, usually made up to order, because we do do custom orders in the shop as well. We sell something called soft buckets, which I developed last year as a just a little storage bucket made of fabric for putting in putting your knitting in or you know the cat's toys or bread rolls at breakfast or anything really. Just a little soft fabric bucket. And we people really love them. They've really been a hit. Um, we've also got little purses and pouches, and then there are also stationary items. We produce some of our own stationery. Uh, I did a collection with Chronicle Books um, a year, year and a half ago. And so, yeah, we've got a lot of things uh, for sale. It actually take, can, it's not a very big shop, but it can take quite a while to walk around and see all the things that we have on offer. And the surfaces of all of these things are decorated with your 
illustrated designs. Yes. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make that clear too. So, um, okay. So the neighborhood, I've never been to South Africa. I've never been to Cape Town. Okay. So for those of us who have never visited, what is Bree Street like? Bree Street is in the center of town and Cape Town's an unusual city because it's, uh, you know, it's fairly small for the reason that we're, we're situated in a, a kind of a bowl of mountains, like a serious mountain. If you look out of the back of my studio, Table Mountain is like right there, this giant national park, very high mountain that'll take you a day, well, actually, maybe not a whole day, half a day to climb. And then the rest of the bowl is, is um, the sea. So it's, it's not a very big city. And uh, Bree Street is one of the, the streets that kind of makes up about hmm, the seven that, that fill up this little bit of the central city. And not too long ago, actually, it wasn't a very interesting street. But in the last, well, we've been here uh, three years. And during that time, it's really, really taken off. There are fabulous cafes and coffee shops and bakeries and fashion shops. And it really is a really fabulous street. Uh, you know, the, the, in the past, there was another street called Long Street that was kind of the place to be. But that's become full of backpackers and bars and things like that. So I like to call Bree Street Long Street for grown-ups. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like your ideal customer is pretty likely to walk by. Absolutely. And that's perfect. <laughs> okay, good. Now, has that meant the rent has gone up in the last little while? Oh, no. We've got such a nice landlord. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. That's good to hear. Because <laughs> sometimes when your area starts to take I off, it gets know. hard to stay. I know. Let's not even talk about it. <laughs> okay. Fingers crossed. Um, okay. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the wholesale business too, because I think that that must take up a lot of your time and the people who work for you must take up a tremendous amount of their time. So you have accounts all over. I was looking at the map on your website and it's so cool to click on all these different continents <laughs> and see, I mean, you, you have work at Heath Ceramics in San Francisco, which is yes. an, an incredibly gorgeous place. You have yes. uh, work at shops in Melbourne and Japan and Vienna and uh, in, in the Netherlands and the US, of course, just everywhere. And I wonder sort of how much of your time is spent servicing the wholesale accounts and, and kind of how you manage those? Well, yeah, it does take up a lot of time and it takes up a lot of space as well because, um, you know, what one needs to have space to produce, to have all that fabric to store once you've produced it and a place to store all the cut stock because we like to do a three-week turnaround on our wholesale orders. So you need to have a lot of stuff ready just to put into production and off you go. Um, so it's pretty much going on full time. Um, and I have to say in the last year or two, yeah, year and, year and a half or so, our business has grown so quickly and so fast. I mean, we started this year, I mean, usually the beginning of the year, it's everybody's recovering from the whole Christmas shopping season, but it's just the wholesale side of things has been go, go, go. It's quite fantastic. Um, my business partner, Pearl, deals with that side of things. And uh, we have a team that, that handles the wholesale. So it's a whole thing of, um, you know, the communication with the customer and working out how much they need, what they're able to get, what works together, quotes on shipping, all of that kind of thing. And then actually getting the, managing all of the the different orders going through the production process in order to put it into a box and take it to the post office <laughs> to get there on time. It's, it's quite a process. Yeah. So um, as far as like the screen printing, because the, the patterns on the fabrics, they're screen printed. Is that right? They are. Okay. And where, I know screen printing is, is kind of a, a whole aspect of production in and of itself. It's yep. kind of messy and everything. So where does that actually take place? Is that taking place in your studio? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, so we, how did that we, work? So that, so when I started out, I was doing my own screen printing, but it soon became clear that I needed the professionals to help with the, with the volume. Um, so there's a screen printing facility about 20 minutes away from us, and uh, I have a production manager called Sarah, who is pretty much out there every day. 
managing the mixing of colors, the approval of screens, the approval of colors, um, doing all the checking as things get rolled on. So although she's not employed, I mean, she's employed by Skinny Lemmings, um, and, and it's produced at another facility, we pretty much have somebody there all the time managing what we have to do. Okay. So it's kind of lucky that you have a facility like that so close to you. We are lucky. And I, I must say, when I'm, I visited the States a few years ago, and I met a, a lot of people who had you know, similar-sized businesses to me. And I was really quite amazed at how, in the States, it's really not easy to find uh, printing facilities. Every, so much of your production seems to have gone offshore. Um, yeah, I really realized we have a, a great advantage. In, in maybe it's being so far away at the bottom of Africa, we kind of have to do, do things ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's coming back. I think, I think to a small degree in some select areas, I think it is coming back a little bit. But yeah, it's definitely not easy to find something like that. Yeah, yeah we, we are lucky. I must say, since we've got a little bit larger, we've been, you know, our, product, our orders have become a bit larger, we're using another facility as well, which is in another town. Um, and, uh, yeah, that requires occasional visits, but not quite as much um, hands-on uh, managing of the process. Okay. All right. And so then you mentioned, so you have Sarah, who is managing the um, screen printing, and then you have Pearl, who we'll talk about in a little bit because she's actually your business partner. Um, and then you have these employees, and they help with all different aspects of production. So um, I know there are several of them, and I just wondered if you wanted to describe just briefly, what, what their roles are, you know, like what, who do you have doing what? Okay, great. Well, we've, we've just been talking about the, the wholesale side of things and the production. So uh, working on that along with Sarah are Malika and Belinda, who they, they actually work very closely with Pearl as well, managing stock levels, um, making sure that levels of, of, of uh, fabric are sufficient so that we can cut enough stock to have on call, um, keeping a you know account of everything on the shelves, and then, and then managing the actual orders and getting off, them off to the post office and sending off invoices and that kind of thing. So they're very very busy. Those two. Um, Arlene is our shop manager, who's an absolute whiz. She is so good. She can speak two languages. She can style up a storm. She is unflappable. In I mean, I just. I can't do what she does. She can manage, you know, four people at once. She's a real whiz. So she's the person who is actually in the, the retail in the store. store yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. If you, if you come into my shop, you'll find Eileen there. Sonia manages, she's part-time. She manages the online shops. She's a mum, so she kind of does that in between home and kids and coming in here now and again. Then Melissa is my design assistant. She helps with uh, editing photographs and doing the bits of graphic design. She's, she's, for many years, I said I needed a mini-me, and, and now I've got Melissa. She's taller than I am, but she's still a mini-me. <laughs> <laughs> she's fabulous. And then we've got Marcia, Muna, Mini, I don't know why everybody's got an M, and Bridget, <laughs> doing, doing the sewing, and Nadia and her daughter, Ziara, cutting up here as well. Okay, great. So, uh, it's quite, quite a bunch. Yeah, and I think it's helpful for people to hear... Um, how, like what kind of roles new people can take on as you grow? Um, just because like myself, my business is just me, but thinking going forward, you know, if you were to expand what kind of people you would bring on and what it is you would have them do. So, yeah, that, that, you know, that's something interesting because recently we, we felt that, um, we needed somebody to help with the social media and marketing, which I do, um, by myself and it's, well, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> and it really can get a little bit out of control. Um, so we, we tried to find somebody and didn't quite come up with the right person. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's some kind of gap there that we're trying to work out exactly what that is. Because, of course, that side of things, you need to be, you need it to be so well done for it to be, you know, genuine. It, yeah. It can't really be something that you farm out. And it also something that I really enjoy doing. Right. So, yeah. It's hard to let it go. And it, it is it, and hard if you to are, let it go. Right. If you are going to let it go, it has to be done by somebody who's really authentically I, I actually think that the, I'm starting to think that the secret is not so much finding somebody else to do it as knowing when to stop. <laughs> knowing when enough social media is enough. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And actually, since we're on the topic of social media, let's talk a little bit about Instagram. Um, and we'll come back to sort of the business side of things in a moment. Mm. But okay. um, I love your Instagram and I feel like you do Instagram very well. You do lots of other social media, of course, as well. But I just wanted to focus there for a moment because I think that... Um, I think it's something that you've grown really well. You have over 16,000 followers on Instagram. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what your Instagram routine looks like and if you have sort of a, a strategy for it or you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Or, you know, what, is, <laughs> what does Instagram look like for you? <laughs> you know, I, I'm very much a fly by my seat of my pants kind of person. <laughs> And when you come back to talking about my business partner, you'll realize why I need her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I really enjoy it. I think I have loved you – know, when, when Instagram was invented, I've always had a, an Android phone. And I saw it going on on, on um, iPhones. I was so jealous. I signed up to be told the minute it came onto Android. The minute it came onto Android, I got it. I got the app and I started. Because I just love the – the idea of um, just being able to to see something, frame it, capture it, share it, and I, I find it very pleasurable to share it, to get other people's reactions on it. But the other thing that I find very useful about Instagram is it's actually it helps me notice what I'm noticing. Um, it's almost like something I use as a record for myself to see what has been catching my eye, which sounds like I'm not very well in touch with myself. But sometimes it's only when you look back on things um, that you see a pattern emerging that that starts to make sense. Yeah. So a couple of things that, um, that makes me think about. One is that um, to do social media well, I feel like it has to serve you personally in some way. Right. And true. if you're only doing it to promote your, you know, your goods mm-hmm. or you're only doing it because it's part of, you know, some sort of strategy that you have to do sort of thing, I feel like it won't either be authentic or you won't keep going with it. And so, so right. it's, it yeah. really sounds like for you, Instagram, you, you know, you got a satisfaction in sharing and you also uh, almost find it to be part of your art practice. Like, trying to sort of make yourself aware of what you're noticing, of what you're visually, you know, what's pleasing to you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I do think also just taking a lot of photographs trains your eye um, as far as composition goes. Um, and also helps you, well, I find it helps me trust myself as, it just trust my own eye. Sometimes something will catch my eye and I'll think, oh, that's nice. And then I'll, I'll actually go, no, you noticed it. Go back and look at it again and see how you can frame it and, and snap it, you know, like <laughs> grab it. And often those, those things that kind of just snag, and then I do take the time to photograph them. They're, they're things that really please me. Yeah. So instead of seeing it as a distraction, and that way it's actually an aid, you know? You're right. Yeah. And I think that that's something that um, people often say, oh, get off of social media and go make yeah. something. And yes, yeah. that is very important. You shouldn't be on social media all day <laughs> and not make anything, but it can actually assist you in the making. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, the only thing that worries me about it is all these things where you, you follow people whose things you like, it ends up being, end up looking at the same kind of things, you know, when you're looking at other people's feeds or the, or the people you've chosen to follow, I feel like sometimes it, you start to think everybody's things are starting to look the same. It does worry me sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think perhaps we should all uh, branch out and follow some really crazy ass people. <laughs> shake things up for ourselves a bit. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, I also think though, too, do you find, and it's hard to know this for sure without sort of becoming some sort of like statistics or analytics nerd, but um, do you think people buy things from what they see on your Instagram when you post pictures of your products? 
Gosh, yeah, that really, that is one of those mysteries, isn't it? It is. That, that there are people who know how to work this out. <laughs> I know, and I'm not one of them. But I guess, you know, so really you're working on a hunch. I know from personal experience that I have bought things that I saw on Instagram. Um, like I've followed the link in the profile and gone to the person's shop and bought the item. And it's happened several times in the last month even for me. So I just okay. wonder whether you have any impression whether that's happening you know, the only time I've really noticed a direct um, impact is particularly people who live in Cape Town. I'll have some magazine that's pretty unusual or hard to get hold of. <clears throat> and I'll put, put it on Instagram and say, oh, I've got kinfolk, but there are only 10 copies. And then suddenly lots of copies will, will sell because people have spotted it. But yeah, as far as, as, far as the other sales go, I, I don't know. I think a lot, of, a lot of work that you put into, especially this kind of social media, is just, I don't know, getting it into people's, getting your work into people's consciousness, um, positioning it in a way. It's, it's, I think it's more branding than, than sales. Um, and I think, I don't really like to think of it in terms of sales because I think as soon as you do that, the motivation for what it's about, yeah, it's not as enjoyable to watch something that's got a sales uh, focus right, somehow. Right. Good point. Yeah. Okay. All right. So coming back to um, to how your business is structured, let's talk a little bit about Pearl Thompson, who is your business partner. You met um, a few years ago. You're from the same town and uh, know, knew a lot of the same people, but um, but then you met, I think, at a wedding. Is that right? And then she started buying some things from you. Um, and, and then she approached you when she, she was looking for uh, a new opportunity and approached you and asked whether she might be of value to you to help with the business side of things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, it, the, the oddest, it really is the oddest thing that we didn't meet a lot earlier. Um, Pearl and I are very... We're extremely compatible. We get on incredibly well. Her best friend from school is married to somebody who was the neighbor and best friend of my husband when he was three years old. I mean, ridiculous coincidences and um, connections. <laughs> that hardly even makes sense. But yeah, we, we did only meet him about four years ago. And Pearl's uh, great strength and one that I really really um, admire because it's something I don't have at all. She's extremely decisive and very, very clear in her thinking. And she's also got a love of systems and she just gets how things ought to be in order to run smoothly. <laughs> she loves to tease things out and make systems out of them and make it work. So she sounds like a great compliment to you. Yeah, she really is. She okay. really is. And the other, the other, the, the other the reason that we, we work so well as a, as a team is that I enjoy the business side of things, um, and she enjoys the design side of things. So bouncing ideas off each other or, you know, it means that we can really share both sides of the business without, and then, then only deal with one that, that where our, our greatest strength is. Right. But, um, but get the pleasure of the other. Right. So what kinds of responsibilities does she have day to day? So Pearl keeps an eye on the money. Um, she o oversees all of the, the wholesale side of things, uh, liaising also with um, production and stock levels, but kind of on a, on a high level. Um, and then we work together on strategy. Uh, she works with our distributor in the Netherlands. We, we're looking for more of those kinds of opportunities. So she's, she's, the, she's the brains. Interesting. The <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So that makes sense. Um, and then she was in Paris for two years and you worked remotely. How did that go? That's right. Yeah, we'd been working together for one year. And then her husband, who's a, a really fabulous guy, got offered a, a position with, um, with UNESCO in Paris. So she went off and lived in Paris for two years. We used Skype a lot. <laughs> um, we met, we had proper meetings on Skype twice a week. We did a lot of Skype chat, a lot of email, and she would come out twice a year. It was very challenging. Um, the business was growing quite fast while she was away. Uh, and by the end, yeah, we were both pretty worn out by the process. Um, those, 
those kind of little meetings that one has in the day, the little bouncing things off each other, the, the you know, picking up on people's moods or, or uh, senses of how they're feeling and so on. It's quite difficult. It was very difficult to do from a distance. Um, and I must say, since Pearl's been back for the whole of last year and on to this, this year, the, the business has really taken off. So, yeah. Okay. But um, I think the thing is, if, if, a, if a partnership is able to survive something like that so early on, it's a pretty good sign that, that you're good at working together. Yeah, totally. Um, and you're, are you equal partners now? Is that how it works? So I'm the business owner, and Pearl and I are equal in terms of what we take out of the business. Okay. Okay. That's just helpful to know, I think, because when you start a partnership, when you start a a company on your own and then bring on a partner, right, that's, Mm. that's kind of a shift. (laughs) It's a a very difficult thing to do. Actually, it's, it's, it's very complex. We spent a lot of time last year working it out. Um, we had a, a, a counselor helping us because it's, you know, it's quite emotional stuff as well, but, um, yeah, we figured it out. Yeah. (laughs) And we go. Yeah, I mean, there, it's interesting because there are, there are a lot of, um, of feelings that go along with it. Yeah. People yeah. might not anticipate, but it's true. It is definitely yeah. true. Um, okay, so I know you take a lot of pride in producing all of, the, um, all of the textiles that you produce and all of the products that you produce locally. Um, as you mentioned, the screen printing facilities that are you know, just the next town over. And even the cotton that you use um, is milled in South Africa. And I just wonder if you ever feel, you know, pressure when people say, oh, your business is growing, you know, you should open a second shop or, you know, you should outsource production. Do you feel that pressure and and sort of how do you take that in and react to that? Uh, Yeah, we do. We do feel the pressure. It's, um, you know, it's always the next step, the, the grow, grow, grow. Um, but I have to say that this business has really grown at its own pace from day one. Uh, we've reacted to what it's needed and, um, and that reaction has been the correct one. Right now, <laughs> we're getting good at running the business at the size it is at. And that is taking a lot of energy. <laughs> Expanding, I think that needs us to be ready for the next challenge. Um, and right now, we're just getting we're getting good at what we do now. Um, yeah, I don't. I've I've never. I'm always willing to take on some a challenge that presents itself, but I don't feel like this one is presenting itself as the right thing to do right now. Yeah, it sounds like there, I mean, there's a lot to be said for doing what you do really well. And, yeah. you know, there's no, with, without any reason to feel like you have to become twice the size you are. Exactly. Because I think the thing is, then you become twice the size and then you feel like you need to be twice the size of that. I mean, where does it stop? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. It stops where you feel like it's awesome right where it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we, we say about what we do and why we do it, and, you know, we both enjoy hard work, but we also enjoy our lives. And... Actually, one of the things, one of the best things you can get out of out of your job, uh, you know, apart from making money or whatever it might be, is enjoying your day. Yeah. Every day, enjoying your day. And obviously, some are going to be more challenging than others, but if you can enjoy your day, that is a hell of a thing to achieve. And yeah. I'm, yeah. Most of the time, I think we enjoy our days. Yeah. That's, that's super important, for sure. Um, all right. So most of the people I talk to on this show are in the U- in the U.S. or in Canada. Mm-hmm. I had one guest from the U.K. Um, but you, <laughs> but you live in South Africa, and I wonder if living in Africa has any sort of specific influences on your work or on your business. Your design work has what I identify as as a Scandinavian style. And I just wonder if you feel like there's also an African influence on that design? Yeah, you know, well, firstly, South Africa is such a mixed up place uh, in terms of culture and and what is is African. Um, So my enjoyment of Scandinavian style, I think, stems from the fact that my mum's best friend was uh, Swedish, but she was not from Sweden. She was, uh, I think, third generation 
uh, daughter of Swedish missionaries. So she came from an African family. You know, they'd been in Africa for a long time. All their focus of their lives was African, but she lived a very Swedish life. <laughs> and her house was very Swedish and her taste was very Swedish. Um, and yet, you know, her life was Africa. Um, and I, I think wherever you live, it's inevitable that, that what that place is will, will, have, um, will have a, a connection, connection. My very first fabric collection was called Sevilla Rock. And I, I actually didn't know anything about designing fabric. I was just enjoying the process of, of creating a repeating pattern. Um, and I'd been working with somebody who knew a lot about rock art, very ancient uh, paintings on rocks from the original people here in this part of the world. And, you know, I'd always seen those kinds of paintings uh, as part of the vernacular, um, mostly tourist rubbish, like an ashtray with a rock art painting on or something really awful. And I'd never really paid any attention to them. And then going away with this guy, Peter, um, and talking about what the paintings were and crawling into caves and finding these exquisite little ancient, um, extremely well-observed little drawings. They made me realize this, the beauty of this, this um, little thing. But then I was also aware of how it had become eroded by the kind of tourist tat side of things. So I decided I was going to take my um, enjoyment of a clean, Scandi type of aesthetic and mix it with this beautiful little drawing. And that's where my first fabric collection came out. So very much an African story, but um, mixed up with my... Yeah, the, thing, the things that, that that aesthetically speak to me. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I feel like, yeah, it does really pull in. Um, your surroundings are very much present. Yeah, yeah. Also, we live in a beautiful natural environment. So you know, plants and and birds. You know, we can watch birds of prey from my apartment balcony, and uh, beautiful, incredibly uh, rich floral kingdom within a 20-minute walk from my front door. Um, yeah, so it's a very rich environment for a designer. Yeah, nice. Um, hmm. So you let, let's sort of go back from before that first fabric collection um, and kind of back up a little bit um, and explore your background. So you didn't actually train as an illustrator or, um, or as a fiber artist, which I thought was really interesting because you're clearly so skilled at it. Um, so what did you study in college? Sort of why didn't you say, I'm going to, you know, major in illustration? I'm such a lace bloomer. I, <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted for a really long time. So I, uh, I studied, I had a really fun time though at university. I studied English literature and I studied French and I studied drama. Drama was my major. And, um, and then after that, I thought I'd do something sensible, so I did a teaching diploma. And I was always drawing. I mean, I'd always draw little things. And one of my uh, teaching uh, lecturers was writing a school textbook, and she asked me to illustrate it. It was all little mice or something like that. And they liked the illustrations, and the publisher said, well, look, if you ever move to Cape Town, we'd be sure to give you some more work. So I moved to Cape Town, and then I started doing um, illustrations for school books. And... Yeah, I did that for quite a long time. Um, and I learned a lot about drawing that way, uh, you know, because I knew nothing about drawing. I would get a brief, like, draw a harbor with, a, you know, from a, the view from a helicopter looking down on a harbor, and you must be able to see seagulls and cranes and trucks and the view of the city in the distance with tractor, you know, like ridiculous briefs. <laughs> and I'd be like, by next Wednesday. <laughs> You're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I just had to do it. So I learned a great deal very fast. <laughs> yeah, on the job training. So, so yeah. did you do that for, I mean, you said a number of years. How many years was that? I did that for 10 years. That's a uh, long time. It's a long time. One of the things that was really, really Fantastic. During that time was I worked with um, a couple of women and wrote, co-wrote and illustrated a series of reading books for, for kids, you know, when they start school. And we, uh, it's a bit of a complex story, but the reading books got picked up by a big publisher. They got translated into all our languages because we have 11 languages in South Africa. And the, the really fantastic thing about that was I started to get a royalties income from those books, which meant I could step back from 
the illustration and start to think about what I wanted to do because I had a little bit of an, an income that was not related to, directly related to work. Uh, so I took a studio and I took a, a half-day job as a comic scriptwriter and I started screen printing. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a very lucky, it was a bit of a gamble because when you do a, a book, when you illustrate, you know, 28 books on no pay for the hope of royalties one day, <laughs> it's a bit of a gamble. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, it, but it did pay off. Right, right, right. So the books that you were illustrating, you were getting sort of freelance, you know, paid up front for those. But this no. reading, oh, you oh, were Yeah. Yeah, the other ones I, w- I was. Yeah. But these ones... But these reading books were were really like on the hopes of future royalties. And that on one... the hopes of future royalties. Right. But the, the, the women I was working with were so awesome. And the, the books we wrote were so fantastic, uh, if I say so myself, that I was really happy to do it for no money at all. <laughs> That's terrific. Can you tell us the name of that series just so if people happen to have seen it or want to take a look at it? They're called the Kajiso Readers, which is K-A-G-I-S-O. Okay. All right, cool. That's just interesting to, to take a look at sort of the Yeah, before. well, you know, I, I do think it's, it's a it, – um, people starting a business, it really does help to have some seed capital. And this wasn't so much seed capital as just some income that I didn't have to generate. It was just a little bit of a, a chance to have a bit of a relief. Yeah, um, yeah. And, to take a little bit of a risk. So in 2006, you took that risk and you said you got a part-time job and were, um, uh, got a studio and we're starting to do some illustration and you started a blog. And I'm wondering how you heard initially about blogs. Oh gosh, I wonder. Hmm, it's a good question. <clears throat> um, you know, the internet broadband was pretty rare in South Africa at first. I don't know what it was like over there, but we tend to be a little bit slow coming to the party. Uh, we are quite far away. Um, but where I was working, this comics um, company, they had broadband internet. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to write my scripts really very well, but very fast. <laughs> I see where <laughs> so this is going. A, a little bit of spare time to look around on the internet, and I, I liked what I saw. <laughs> Okay, so you stumbled on a blog on blogs, and you started. And was your was your blog called Skinny Lemmings? Yeah, it was. Um, I don't know why. I, I yeah, it was just a little funny thing that I'd I'd made up. It was a nickname for our Siamese cat, <clears throat> whose name's Monkey, and she's very skinny, and she's a little minx. <laughs> so. So you yeah. just sort of got started, and um, and then you started on Etsy shop as well, and um, maybe 2007? Yeah. Actually, I have to um, add here, probably the reason I got into blogs and started an Etsy shop is my friend, uh, Jessie Breitenbach, who you should look up online because she's a really fantastic um, pattern designer, also here in Cape Town, who works with block printing. She's a, and she's an amazing knitter and amazing sewist. She's a really fantastic person. Um, so I mean, I'll send you. I'll send you her details. Okay. Yeah, I'll link to that in the show notes. So she was the one who sort of pointed you in that direction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we used to work together occasionally. So. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, so you started this Etsy shop, um, and you still have it, which I thought was really interesting because I was looking at it this morning, and you know, you're still selling things from Etsy every day. Um, you've mm. got, in some days, it's like a dozen things. Some days it's less. Some days it's much more. But, um, but that's really still your main online shop. You have another online shop that's just for South African customers, but yes. your main sort of re- online retail shop for people like me who, you know, live in Boston and want to buy something mm-hmm. is through Etsy. And I wondered mm-hmm. why, I mean, clearly you could have, you know, opened your own shop in some other way. And I just wonder why you chose to stay on Etsy. Yeah, it, it is a good question. And funnily enough, I've just read your article about why you chose to stay on Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and the reason I read yours was that, that it's something that, that I do think about. But, um, and, and, you know, a lot of the time staying on Etsy has been quite a, a difficult decision to keep up with because there was a point at which I, I was not, I could see I was not really in the spirit of Etsy as it used to be. You know, I wasn't making everything myself or printing everything myself. Um, 
but then they were evolving at the same time and allowing more and more of that. Now, I used to have quite a lot of conversations with the, with the Etsy conchos about, you know, shall I leave or what do you, you know, how should we go about this? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of grown and changed along with um, my business. And, yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a difficult thing to do. To, to decide what's next. We actually are thinking of opening another one on, on a different platform that's more Skinny Links, you know, centric. It's not so much um, an Etsy shop that Skinny Links has the shop on. But, you know, it's a bit of a, a ship to turn around. Yeah, it's, it's just an interesting question. I still think, and I'm betting for you even too, even though you have such a strong following um, of your own, that people find you perhaps for the first time on Etsy still. Do you think that that might be true? It might be true, but I don't know how people find things on Etsy. It's, it's, there's so That's many true. people on Etsy. It's, it's interesting. You know, if I look at what people are looking for when they come to my shop, they're usually looking for skinny lemmings, uh-huh. so, which is great. I mean, that's really, really fantastic. But yeah, they probably are. Yeah. Who look at other people's favorites, and you know, there's all that wonderful networking. And you know, still, I look at, at all of the, the forums and the way people help each other, and it's, it's amazing. There, there are not a lot of platforms that, that have that kind of um, generosity. That's true. Yeah, um, good point. Um, all right, so so yeah, I'm still on Etsy as well, and um, it, I always wonder about people who are still there. So that's good to know. Um, it's complicated. It's a complicated, complicated. decision. Yeah. Um, so over the years, you've had a couple of experiences. I think we all probably have any of us who've been online for a long time and have a lot of images online um, where people copied your designs and passed them off as their own. And I wondered if you wanted to share one of those experiences and how you handled it, because I think it's something that people worry a lot about, you know, like I'm afraid to show what I've made because I feel like somebody will take it, um, without my permission or, you know, it, once it happens, what am I going to do? I can't afford a lawyer. How am I going to handle this? So I just wondered if, you know, because you've been through it, maybe if you could share sort of what happened and what you did next. Well, you know, it's not going to be the same story for everybody. I think the, 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 whenever this kind of thing does happen, the big positive that comes out of it is I never find it by myself. I'm always sent a message on Twitter or on Facebook or something by somebody who knows and loves Skinny Lemix who says, gosh, I just came across something that looks a heck of a lot like yours. Um, do you want to go and check it out? So there's... You know, why I say that's the positive thing is there's, it, it feels like it's kind of policed by people who care about my things, which is, which is really amazing and um, I'm enormously grateful for. And it makes me feel a bit safer about putting things out there. You know, you have to put things out there because otherwise you're not going to sell anything. Um, but I imagine if you, if you don't have that kind of support base of, of people who care about your business... Um, yeah, the danger is, is much more. And what I've done when this has happened is, I'm just thinking about one, one incident a few years ago. It was uh, somebody in South America. And um, I tackled them about it. And they, it was quite weird. I, I think a lot of people, they genuinely think that once they find something on the internet, it's there for the taking. they yeah, it was kind of, I felt like I had to educate them on the fact that this belongs to somebody and you can't just use it for your own gain. Um, so that, you know, I, I also find that the, the, the threat of an online shaming of, of saying, if you continue to sell this thing, I will tell everybody and they won't like you kind of, um, threat has been effective in the past. Yeah. Especially since you have such a loving community and you exactly. have, and frankly, you have kind of a big microphone, you know, I mean, you've, yeah. You've, yeah. So that yeah, helps. No, yeah, it does help. I mean, as I say though, I mean, if you're just starting out or a little bit smaller, I think it must be a genuine risk, but the other risk is not to, not for anybody to ever see your work. Right. <laughs> 
That is the risk. <laughs> so, so I hope that the, the risk, I mean, the benefits outweigh those risks. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely do. But, um, okay. I think that's helpful to people. And, um, I wanted to return for a minute to the name Skinny La Minx because, mm-hmm. as you said, it, it was kind of, um, it's a, it was a nickname for your cat. And, um, and it, it sounds like it was almost kind of an off-the-cuff decision to name the blog that and and that kind of became the, the business name it wasn't like you sat down with you know a million different possible names and like a matrix and tried to figure <laughs> out two words that might go together and might make sense and evoke a particular visual image in people's minds or, or something like that it sounds sort of like it was uh, uh you know a quick decision and i just wonder first of all am i right about that and second are you happy with the name if you had to do it over, would you keep that name and has it caused any kind of difficulty or do you sort of love, love the name? So what, what is your relationship with the name Skinny Lemmings? <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, it was very much, I mean, as I said earlier, I'm pretty much a seat of, seat of the pants person. <laughs> the, the, fir- the first name I thought of was Minx Skidoo. But I don't know why I thought that. And then I found out there was some kind of ski, like, ski thing called a skidoo so I was like okay skidoo is not going to work and then I went on to skinny lummings I think it was just a, a challenge that that kind of took my imagination for a week like what am I going to call my blog and that's what I came up with um there's also and this you know this is a little obscure I usually say it's a nickname for my Siamese cat because there's another story that it makes more sense to South Africans and I think some Irish and Scottish people but there's a playground rhyme that goes Skinny, malinky, long legs, big banana feet. And there's more and more about having a baby and drive-ins and bizarre things. But <laughs> there's, yeah, there's skinny malinks, which is the, the typical um, way of saying it. I mixed it up a bit to be skinny laminks. And so that's my only regret is sometimes people say skinny malinks. Even my mum says skinny malinks. <laughs> <laughs> But otherwise, I think people are intrigued. They enjoy it. It's easy to, you know, it's cheeky. It's a cute name. Yeah, it is a cute name. And it's just interesting because um, when you think about naming, like I, I mean, I'm imagining you had no idea what was going to happen, what this was going to grow into. Oh, you yeah. were, I would ex- never have started. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Seems a little overwhelming to think, <laughs> well, I'm going to start this business. It's going to be this massive wholesale yeah. thing. And yeah, totally. But, um, but yeah, so you just sort of pick this name without knowing. And then, you know, all these years later, you're like, this is my name. And, you know, it sort of becomes separated from its actual meaning, you know, and beca- it sort of comes to represent Mm. your business in a way that's sort of abstracted from the, from the literal meaning of what, of what those two words mean. So, or yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? I've, I've got to go back to your um, about page now on your blog and find out why you're talking about <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you briefly, <laughs> but I, I am in sort of a similar position um, in that I, I was very off the cuff. I just came up with the name for it uh, out for coffee with my husband one night. And um, I was like, I had just discovered blogs and thought, Hey, I can do this. I can start a blog my, of my own. And my daughter was nine months old. And I'm like, I'll just do a blog about the things I'm making while she's napping. And so oh, I, thought I, would, I thought I would call it while she's napping. But when you write that out, it looks like while she's snapping. And so I was like, <laughs> well, I'll just have to call it while she naps. And that was it. And I had no, literally had no idea. And now, I mean, what, it's totally the wrong name. Like, I, what, <laughs> It's not at all the name that I would pick now. But uh, for years, it was it was apropos, and now it's totally not apropos anymore. But I'm not going to change it. It is what it is, and yeah. here we are. And I think, hopefully, in some people's minds at least, it's become separated from the literal meaning of those words right. and just come to mean sort of what it is that I make. And, and yeah. that's, that's enough. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I know, but it's funny how, uh, it, I don't know, sort of uh, innocent... <laughs> That's when I chose it. I was, no, no <laughs> anticipation. So, um, it sounds very impressive. Impressive. Your, your daughter must nap for a long. Yeah, time. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, what's funny about it is, so now she's almost um, eleven. She'll be eleven oh, next wow. week, and um, and then I had two other daughters. So fortunately, I had no sons. So it all worked out. But. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so I wanted to talk um, as my last question about some of the media coverage that you've gotten. I was looking at the media section on your website, which is really impressive. There's a lot there, um, and 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 it's very clear why. I mean, your work is absolutely beautiful and very um, 
sort of fits in with so many different kinds of decor and um, and kinds of styles, I feel like. And I just wonder, of all of those sort of um, articles and interviews and things that have been done, I mean, you've been in all kinds of really well-known magazines and um, and things like that. Was there one that was like, represented a turning point, you know, like you got this one piece and after that a whole sort of flood of orders came in or a perception of, yeah. of sort of what you were doing shifted in people's minds and things sort of took off from there. Inter- interesting question. Um, you know, I, I really, I have been extremely lucky with all of the media that I've got. I'm so grateful for it. And, and it just, you know, it just arrives. The email can, you know, it's fantastic. It's really, really so fortunate. But I think a lot of the, the early stuff, um, the timing of starting a blog, a blog in 2006 and starting to make things around about then, when blogs were just starting out, um, was really fantastic. And, and something like Design Sponge, I must say that, that the first feature I had on Design Sponge was huge for me. It, it really, I, and I, I think possibly huge for me personally more than business-wise because, you know, living down here at the bottom of Africa in a country that's got quite a difficult history, um, you know, it's been 20 years of democracy, but before that we were pretty much a pariah. We're very excluded from the, the, um, the, the Western culture. You know, we didn't, there, there were a lot of things that weren't shared with us. And, there's always been a sense that, that South Africa is a bit backward and a bit, you know, nothing great comes out of out of here and we're stuck away at the end of the world. And getting a feature on something like Design Sponge really, really, really made me realize that maybe I was onto something, that maybe it was possible to to, um, to create something fabulous myself and to, to do it from, from the ends of the earth. <laughs> um, it was, um, yeah, it really was a moment for me. Yeah, and kudos to you and kudos to Grace for being brave enough to feature somebody who other people weren't already featuring and who did live in an unusual place, but who was making great work that was worth noticing. Yeah, well, I mean, I still still actually feel very, um, a little bit choked up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was a good story. (laughs) Um, So... So I want to um, to end on just knowing what might be next for Skinny Leminks. It sounds as though, um, you know, as we mentioned, you're you're very happy doing things the way they are now and sort of refining the systems that are already in place. Um, and I just wondered, you know, is there a new collection coming out or something exciting you wanted to share with listeners? Actually, lots of exciting things coming up. Um, we are planning and getting cracking on launching our new collection in, in May, late May. Um, and it's a collection that comes out of some teaching I did on a Richie Ace camp in, in Jaipur last year, where I learned about um, block printing. And it's not so much Indian inspired as just really, I fell in love with block with the process of block printing. But I can't say anything more about it. Okay. <laughs> so that's coming out at the end of May. Okay. And then I'm off to the States. I'm really excited to be taking a trip to the US um, in the middle of June. Um, I'm planning to go to the West Coast. I've never been to LA, but I'll have a little show at Heath Ceramics in LA in the middle of June and a trip to San Francisco. And I'm wanting to to hook up again with a uh, hookup. You can't say hookup. That's Americans say hookup. It's the wrong word. <laughs> Get Meet up. Meet up. Yeah. Meet up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, golly, the cultural <laughs> obstacles. To meet up with the uh, soccerists of ours on the West Coast. And yeah, I'm really excited about that. It's going to be fun. That sounds fantastic. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so I wanted to make sure we got a couple of your recommendations. Um, so we wanted to talk, I think, first about an app that sounds really good and perhaps something I should download like today. So it's called the Todoist app. Yes, it's the Todoist app. I found out about it on Skillshare, which is another um, amazing online resource that I, that I just discovered during the holidays, um, where people do how-to videos about all manner of things, 
but really well done and, and very much in the design world. Definitely look, worth looking at. But that, this one was done by a guy who is a professional, um, what do you call it? Uh, he helps you become more productive, a productivity coach. And he recommended this app called Todoist, which you download and you can have an extension that goes into your Gmail. And every it's just the most incredible thing for taming your inbox. Every email that needs to be dealt with, either answered or follow up, followed up and so on, you can put into your daily to-do list. So you never lose that email that you need to follow up on or, you know, send that document or whatever. It's really changed my life. <laughs> so it creates a to-do list that integrates your email. Is that basically, yes. am I summarizing it correctly? That, that is that is the, the feature that I find extremely useful about it. It's mostly just a to-do list um, and, and a way of, you know, organizing your Every, all of your projects that you're working on and breaking them down into actions rather than just, uh, you know, it's not like shoot the new uh, textile collection. It's every action, every action that needs to go into that project can be broken down and, and allocated to days. But then the, the email side of it, I just find really useful for, for, for keeping the inbox out of, under, under control. And do you share your list, your to-do list with other people who you work for or is it just for you? Well, I'm trying to work out how to do that. <laughs> okay. I, need to, I need to go back into Skillshare and find out how to <laughs> share my to-do to list. Totally. Um, that sounds good, though, because, well, first of all, I love that inter integration with email. Yes. That's super. And um, I just recently stopped using a paper calendar, and now all my calendar is digital, which is terrific. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. can share things with my husband if I'm teaching in the evening and that sort of thing, and he can see what my meetings are, and I can see his, so I love that. Um, and I also can keep all my other work stuff that he doesn't care about separate, so he <laughs> can, doesn't get cluttered into his uh, calendar. Um, but I haven't yet made my to-do list digital. That's sort of my last thing. And so what I do with my email is I flag emails. So I have all these different colored flags. Oh, so when yes. emails come in that I need to deal with that, um, I just flag them. And so there's purple ones and green ones. <laughs> um, and they just sit there like flagged. I'm like, do something. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to send you the link to, to, to that productivity coach and he can, he can teach you all about that. that. I'm such a convert. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a good one. So, um, all right. And your last one, your second one that I think we'll have time for today is about your early morning walks. And, um, I, I kind of, I do run in the morning, but I don't go very early in the morning. I go around nine. Um, so I wanted to hear about your walks. Well, that's something I've started doing fairly recently. It is summertime here and the sun's up nice and early and I do live in an amazing neighborhood. Um, and you know, you know that thing where you kind of never feel like you get around to exercising. There's always something to do, and I thought this is ridiculous. So I'm three times a week. I'm out of bed, 5:30, quickly have a cup of tea, and then set off for an hour of walking around the neighbourhood. And um, I try to take a different path every day and just go up and down roads I've never been on before. And it's just such a great way to. I don't know, like have the streets to yourself, nobody's around. Um, maybe the tramps are waking up. <laughs> it's a really beautiful part of the, part of the day. And uh, yeah, it's much better than sleeping. Yeah, well, I love sleeping, I have to say. But, um, I do too. But I have to wake up early anyway because I have little kids. So, yeah. But, um, but I, do, I do run in the morning. And I have to say, for years I didn't do it. And I always felt like I wasn't ever outside experiencing yes. the weather. And so when I started running, one of the big – I never go on a treadmill and I never go to the gym. I'm always outside. If, I, I, yes. if I'm going to run, it has to be outside because I always want to see – feel like I sort of experienced the weather that day. And so I go, even if it's pouring rain, I go in the snow, I go, it doesn't matter what the weather is. I'm, I go, if it's burning hot, I just always go. And I feel like I know what the day was. Like I know yeah. what it was like out there and that helps <laughs> me a lot. So I love it. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm in favor of it. So, uh, all right. Well, Heather, these were uh, great recommendations and I just so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the Walshy Naps podcast. Well, thank you so, so much for having me. It was a real, real pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm so glad we connected so far away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so where can people find Skinny Lemmings online? Well, our website is skinnylemmings.com. Um, and on the website, there are links to the online shops, 
uh, also to our catalogs, so you can see all of the things that we have in, um, you know, available to order. Um, and then all of the links to the other Facebook and Instagram and all of the other bits and bobs that we do. And I write a blog uh, probably twice a week, and then I send out a, a weekly newsletter on Wednesdays. Excellent. Okay, yes, and I'm a subscriber. So, <laughs> All right, it's perfect. So you've been listening to the Wall Street Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, wallstreetnaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs, as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.